I think it's a reality, but it's really, a, it's really an unfortunate reality that when people think of church or church services or religion, they equate it with empty ritual and rote repetition. Um, when I was a kid, the tradition in which I grew up, man, I knew that liturgy. I knew the order of that service inside and out, backward and forward. And unfortunately, it wasn't because I thought it was beautiful or found it significant or studied it. Um, it was because it was like a clock for me. Like, I knew how much longer I had to sit there based on what was, what was going on in the, <clears throat> in the service. And it's really unfortunate because the, New Te- or the Old Testament character that we're going to look at today is going to lead us to a, a ritual that God actually commands of us that has so much significance, so much beauty, so much depth, not only for the, the individual time that we experience it, but as we go throughout our lives with Jesus, we can look back on it on this, on this reminder. So that's kind of where we're going this morning. Um, Leanne did a great job over the last two weeks giving us some insight into, my guys are telling me to move over because I'm not positioned well on the camera. See, I moved my table, and I'm like all, all, out, of, all out of position. Is that better? All right. Thank you, fellas. <clears throat> um, Leanne did a great job giving us some insight into the person of Moses and his character and some of the attributes that put him in a position to be used in such mighty, mighty ways by God. Now, the story of Moses and the Israelite people um, covers four of the first five books of the Old Testament. Actually, part of Genesis as well. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So I am going to give you a really brief, really brief summary of, um, of those books. And we're going to start just by looking at the people of Israel. People of Israel were enslaved for hundreds of years by the Egyptians. Um, manual labor, oppressed, harsh, harsh treatment. They cried out to God. God heard their prayers, and he rescued them, and he used Moses to help lead them out of Egypt. And throughout the course of those books that I listed, um, the Israelite people are reminded over and over again of the covenant promise that God made with their forefather, Abraham. And that promise consisted of a couple of things. It consisted of descendants for Abraham, right? And now there's hundreds of thousands of Israelite people, maybe even a million something. It consisted of a role to play And that was the role of representative to the rest of the world to show the rest of the world what the one true God was really like. And and finally, he promised them a land of their own, right? The the promised land. And that's where we're that's where we're heading today. We're gonna we're gonna get there. So the Israelite people were just like us. Um, They complained a lot. Um, They went so far as to say, can we just go back to Egypt where we were slaves and under an oppressive rule? They felt like that was going to be better than where God was, was leading them. And they failed, right? Time and again, even though they had the presence of God with them, they failed. Um, so very much, very much like us in their struggles, um, calling out to God. I want to next look at God's, what we learn about God, really, as this is a, a summary, a very great injustice to these four books, um, but what we learn about God, and the first thing that I want to point out is that God defines his own character towards the end of Exodus. I want to read this passage. Um, this is Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, 
maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generations. God is perfect in his character and his own description, perfectly loving, perfectly just, perfectly merciful. And he, um, he gives commands and laws to the people of Israel to help them interact with him, to help them interact with the rest of the world. He gives them laws around rituals and worship and morality. And what's really interesting is many of those laws point to three different things. One of them is care for the poor. One of them is sexual integrity. And the last one is social justice. Right? Even though the, the laws around worship and ritual include those aspects. So we, we get an insight into what's important to God in those laws that he gives. And uh, there's so much important things we learn about God in this, but his presence is restored to the people. He goes to great lengths and details to describe where he's going to reside with them in something called the tabernacle, and within the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark is gonna be important when we read the passage in Joshua that we're, that we're getting to, so remember that. Like I said, Leanne brought us through Moses. She also spoiled the end of the story. Moses does die at the end, um, but before he does, God writes a song for Moses to sing. And it's a really interesting, unique song because it's a, um, it's a prophetic song and it's telling the Israelites they're gonna make it to the promised land, but when they, once they get there, they're gonna turn their back on God and they're gonna experience the consequences of what it means to turn their back on God. But at the same time, he... <clears throat> He finishes it by saying, and yet even after you turn your backs on me, I will call you back to me and I will give you an opportunity for a new heart. Really, really interesting. Um, again, it's right before Moses, is, Moses dies. And finally, we get to Joshua. Before Moses dies, he commissions at the Lord's direction, he commissions Joshua to take over leadership of the Jewish people. And um, we learn from the scripture that Joshua is gift, he's a gifted leader. He's been by Moses' side since Joshua himself was young, so he's experienced a lot. When Moses went up Mount Sinai, Joshua went with him for a good part of the way. Um, when Moses would go to the tent of meeting, a special place outside the camp that God designed for Moses to go to to interact, be an intermediary between the people, Joshua would go with him, and then Joshua um, would stay there when Moses was away from the tent of meeting, kind of keep, keep an eye on things. Joshua was entrusted with lots of responsibility even before Moses passed away. <clears throat> Moses passes away. The people of Israel are almost there. The promised land is just about in sight. But the, the generation of the wilderness, God told them that you are not gonna see the promised land. It's your children who will see it. And Moses was included in that, right? Because Moses screwed up just like the people did. Well, not just like the people did, in a, in a different way but so much so that it would keep him from entering the promised land. So Joshua was gonna be the one to lead the Israelite nation across the Jordan into the promised land. That was Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You good? All right. <clears throat> um, so I'm gonna to read to you a little bit from, from Joshua chapter one, and then we're gonna take a look at um, the Israelites crossing the Jordan into the promised land. This is Joshua one, uh, starting in verse seven. If you want a hard copy Bible, there's some on the table over there. 
If not, uh, pull out your device, and the word should be up on the screen as well. All right, here we go. This is God talking to Joshua. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So God assures Joshua of his presence. Then the word so. In response to that, Joshua goes and does this. Joshua ordered the officers of the people Go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. So um, God reassures Joshua that I am with you. That's God speaking to Joshua. I am with you. And because I am with you, you can be strong and you can be courageous. We've been talking a lot about being with God over the last couple weeks here at Crossroads. And let's, let's be clear, right? God is ever-present. And in order for us to participate in that presence, we need to respond to him just like he was asking Joshua to respond to him in humility and obedience. In humility and obedience. We need to confess our need for God and then we need to try to live our life the way God outlined it for us, within the parameters that he's given us. Like I said, the Israelites struggled with that, but in this particular occasion, God told them through Joshua that he was gonna do something amazing, and they humbly responded in obedience by trusting in what God was saying. So this takes us to the banks of the Jordan River. We're gonna... um, Jump to chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, That's a funny little verse that just kind of dropped in there, but pay attention to it because we're going to come back to it in a second. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. It was harvest time when they were, that's why he's saying that. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. All right, so a couple things. That, that's the actual picture of the Jordan River at flood stage. The first thing we need to know is that people who study this kind of thing tell us that the Jordan is much smaller today than it was back then because of modern agricultural <coughs> methods and what it's done to the river. So 
That thing is flowing pretty good. It's much higher, wider, deeper, faster than it is throughout the rest of the year. That's why in the text, it tells us that it was at flood stage. It was a dangerous crossing that they were about to undertake. And what's interesting is they crossed almost immediately directly um, opposite where Jericho was. The people of Jericho had heard about the Israelites and I would assume took some comfort in that the Jordan stood between them. And we go back to the Lord is going to show you, right? The Lord is going to show you this act of crossing the Jordan is not just a practicality of getting them from one place to another, but it's God showing off. It's like, look, man, look what I can do. Keep this in mind as we move forward in our trek together. So the other thing that is we need to be keep in mind is um, I didn't read to you all of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4, but over and over and over again, it refers to the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. This is an artist's rendition based on what we read in Scripture of what the Ark of the Covenant might have looked like. The significance of it is, is it was the presence of God. Within the Ark of the Covenant were the stone tablets that Moses got from God, the law written on it. The point being is that it's God that does the work. As I've kind of said repeatedly to you guys, it's God that does the heavy lifting. The ark went into the river first. The ark stopped in the middle of the river. The, the priests waited for everybody, hundreds of thousands of people, to cross the river. And then they brought the ark out. It's God who was the hope of triumph, not just over the river, but would be the hope of triumph as the Israelites moved into the promised land. It's God who is our hope of triumph in the things that we face day in and day out. The, the river, the ark, God's power being displayed, all these, like, there's so many different um, lessons we could take, things we could learn from this passage. But what I think um, for us as a community, what we should concentrate on is what we learn about God and how he wants to interact with us. And we've talked about um, uh, repeated phrases in the Bible and how that's important. If we, like I, I said, the ark was repeated, so we should pay attention to that. We talked about how the phrase, be fruitful and multiply, was repeated throughout Genesis, and we, we took a look at that. There are also patterns in the Bible that we see a similar kind of thing happening again and again. And I've called this pattern of parting God parts waters. So if you have a church background, if you're familiar with the Bible, some of these things will be familiar. If not, I will try to describe them to you. God brought life out of nothing by parting waters. Genesis chapter one, there was God separated the waters above and below, and then he separated the waters below, and from that, he brought life. God brings life by parting waters. God purifies life by parting waters. God created life. Humanity decided that they wanted to choose for themselves what was good and what was evil, and they went their own way, and they became exceedingly evil. God basically hit the reset button, and he purified life through the parting of waters. The flood came, and he brought life out of the flood again. God brought the Egyptian people, or sorry, the Israelite people out of Egypt to the Red Sea. Parted the Red Sea. The Egyptian people moved through it, 
closed the Red Sea on the Egyptian army who was hot in pursuit. God freed the Israelite people through the parting of waters. God frees people through the parting of waters. We get to the Jordan River and the Israelites at the Jordan River. God parts the waters to remind us it is his presence and his power at work in us and around us that we can rely on. And Jordan's up there twice. That's not a typo. Maybe most importantly, significantly for us, almost some historians think the same spot where the people crossed is where Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. Jesus' baptism is a foreshadowing of his death and his resurrection. God parts the waters and offers us eternal life that starts here and now. This idea of God parting the waters is where we get the concept of baptism. Baptism um, is a symbolic gesture of humility and obedience. We recognize God for who he is. We recognize our need for him, and we recognize his ability to meet that need when we step into the waters of baptism. Now, I don't know everybody's background, everybody's tradition. Some people were baptized as infants and don't remember it. Some people were as kids, some people as adults. Um, <clears throat> but we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit deeper about a higher level view of baptism and why it's important and why it's not an empty ritual and why even if you were baptized years and years and years ago, it's still so significant and so important to you and to your walk with Jesus and, and to the walk of, uh, to other people's walks with Jesus, to people around you. So why baptism? Our good and God's glory, right? First and foremost, our good, God's glory. <clears throat> God calls us into baptism. Jesus commands it. And like I just said, it's a recognition of us and our need for him. God moves us through the waters of baptism. And when we do that, we let everybody around us know who God is and what he's done in our lives and that we're putting a stake in the ground and that we want to be identified with him, that we want to be in, in him. Um, sometimes people get confused about baptism, that it, it's necessary for us to be made right with God, to save us. Right? Baptism does not save us. That would be a, a work. It is God alone who saves us, right? God does the heavy lifting. However, I would suggest to you that baptism is absolutely necessary to our growth and maturity in Christ. We've been talking a lot about becoming spiritually mature. And this is an essential component. Baptism is an essential component to that. Without baptism, um, I think we lose sight. We could lose sight of who we are. We could lose sight of our mission. We could lose sight of who our brothers and sisters are, of what it is that God expects of us. Um, another reason why baptism is the people who crossed the Jordan, it was, they were individuals, but it was also a community. In a, in a group that large, I would imagine there were very young people. I would imagine there were very old people. I would imagine there were sick people. There were strong people. There were healthy people. There were people who were confused. There were confident people. The priests went in. The ark was there. The water stopped at just the right time and made the ground solid enough for the people, for a lot of people to walk across. 
right? Maybe, maybe the first person who went was one of the brave ones, and somebody else saw that and said, okay, all right, I can do this. Maybe the next people that went were, somebody needed help. They like supported, like actually physically supported the person across the river. Maybe somebody's way in the back and they're watching and they're just getting more and more confident as they're seeing more and more people walk across the river. It's an individual trip across the river. It's an individual trip of baptism, but it's also a community event. It's a community ritual that's important. Um, <clears throat> baptism, part, God parting the waters, also serves as a reminder. Um, I'll explain a little more. I want to read you these verses from chapter 4. Whole nation crosses the river. Remember, I pointed out that little kind of, it seemed like a throwaway line. Joshua said, point 12 guys. There was a re this is the reason for the 12 guys. <clears throat> Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that had been taken out of the Jordan. The 12 guys each grabbed a stone out of the Jordan. The 12 guys represented the 12 tribes of Israel. He said to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all peoples of the earth might know the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord. Baptism is a reminder of what God can do. Again, not just for us, but for the people around us. Baptism is a significant, significant reminder. I was um, doing a lot of reading and studying and, and trying to get prepared for this message, and I'm thinking to myself, <clears throat> we've recently, as individuals and as a community, as a world, we've experienced some really hard things. People are in the middle of really hard things. People are experiencing significant loss. People are going through transitions. What difference does baptism make in the middle of those situations? What difference does baptism make to somebody struggling with addiction or anxiety? What difference does baptism make? I want to read to you a passage from the New Testament <clears throat> that will begin to explain this a little bit. And it's that whole reminder piece, right? It's the initial act of baptism, but it's the reminder piece. And it's the reminder of, of this kind of thinking. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Alive to God in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Baptism is a tangible reminder and expression of us being in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, in Jesus, in him, it's like 90 plus times throughout the New Testament. And I'm going um, to share with you just like a, 
an abridged version of that list. And I want you to think about everything that it means to be in Christ. And the baptism points to all of those things, right? It points to all of those things. This might go a little fast, but here we go. All right. Romans 6, in Christ we are alive to God. Romans 8, 1, in Christ there is no condemnation for us. Romans 8, 39, in Christ we cannot be separated from the love of God. In Christ we are one body. Romans 12, 5, one family, all of us brothers and sisters. 2 Corinthians 1, 20, in Christ all of God's promises are yes and amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, in Christ we are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, in Christ God reconciled the world to himself Galatians 3.26, in Christ we are children of God. Galatians 3.28, in Christ there is no us and them, no male and female, no Jew or Greek, no slave or free. Ephesians 1.13, in Christ we have every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 2.10, in Christ we have been given good works to do, right? For that purpose, that person who feels like they don't have purpose, in Christ we have purpose. Ephesians 4:32. In Christ we are forgiven. And finally, in Christ we have eternal glory. We are welcomed in to eternal life in Christ. Baptism makes a huge difference, not just when we initially get wet, but when we return to that moment in our minds and in our hearts. And God speaks to us and says, this is what I was saying to you in your baptism, that you were made new, that you were forgiven, that you were purified. We have this tangible reminder. I don't care if you were baptized 50 years ago, five years ago, five minutes ago. And that's what you have to look forward to in baptism. If you have not taken that step yet, that essential step of faith and growing maturity in Christ Baptism is a tangible expression and reminder of our trust in Jesus that is meant for our good and for his glory. Now, I want to just briefly talk about baptism at Crossroads, and we can talk more about this later. But um, So at Crossroads, we do uh, infant-child dedications because we consider that an act of the parent. The parent is making a commitment to do the best they can to raise their child to grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is and to love him as best they can. We baptize people when they are old enough to be able to articulate how they feel about Jesus, to be able to articulate the fact that, yeah, I need Jesus in my life. Without him, I would drown in those waters. I need him to part those waters, and I want to follow him as best I can. And we've we've baptized people from five years old up to 95 years old. Typically, um, we will do the full-on dunk, right? Immersion is the church word for that. But we've also done it in other ways, right? We've, there, are, there are other ways to, to handle that. Um, so if you have not been baptized, I would encourage you to, uh, to find me, to talk to Leanne, to talk to Kevin or Stacy or your prayer pod coordinator and, and, and figure out um, if this is an appropriate time for you to take that step. Of, of baptism. And I, I know, I know there are some folks who are hearing this and who are watching this who, um, who quite frankly, need to take that step. And this is an important next step. 
And some of us are sitting here today and we need to spend some time, and we're gonna do that in a second, um, remembering the work that God did in us to get us to the point of baptism, to remember what it is that God says to us through baptism, and then to remember all those things that we're united in Christ, we're made, to, we're made alive in God through Christ. To God in Christ, sorry. So what I want you to do is um, we're just gonna take a 30 seconds of silence um, and I just want you to ask God what it is that he's saying to you about baptism, about him parting the waters. We remember that God brings life through the parting of waters. I will give you 30 seconds of silence. I'm gonna talk for another 30 seconds. God brings life through the parting of waters. God purifies life through the parting of waters. God brings freedom through the parting of waters. God shows himself to be trustworthy. He reveals his presence and his power through the parting of waters. And he offers us new and eternal life through the parting of waters. What is it that God is saying to you about baptism? God, thank you that, um, that we can count on you to part the waters. Thank you that you invite us to take that step. God, it had to be a, a scary step for the people of Israel, but you were there. You went first. You stayed through the entirety, and you brought up the rear. God, would you... Um, would you just do a work in us, God? And if we've already taken that step of baptism, would you remind us? Would you remind us of how significant it is and how symbolic it is of being united with Jesus in his death and his resurrection? And God, if we haven't taken that step, would you help us to, to move forward towards it, maybe to, to even to take it? God, we thank you that we can encourage one another through this practice that you've given us, that you've commanded us to do. God, we thank you for this community. We thank you for the celebrations that are gonna, that are gonna be upcoming as people take those steps of baptism and as we remember together the significance of baptism. Thank you, Jesus, for meeting with us here today. We love you. Amen.